Hope everybody's having a good night on our second to last Tuesday of the year. Kind of wild, right? Very sad, but it's okay. We have some fun things scheduled next week. Uh, and then it's summer, which I think we all are kind of ready for, right? Hey, I don't know if you know this name. It's okay if you don't. Uh, but David Foster Wallace was a, a brilliant author and professor. And he wasn't a Christian, but in 2005, he did a commencement speech. And in this speech, this is what he says. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. He's saying there's no such thing as not believing in anything. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Maybe you know that quote. But, but what he's saying is everybody worships. Everyone loves, adores, praises, devotes themselves to something. It's as if we can't not worship. And it's not that we, whether we will worship, it's what we will worship. He says everybody worships. In the last, I don't know, I think six, six weeks, we have been in Ecclesiastes a short little book in the Old Testament. And in just about 12 chapters, we have seen a man. And he, this man, he's called the teacher. He has been on a quest for the meaning of life. Like he has been looking for the purpose of life itself. And if you've been around, you've seen, he has a lot to say about the world. But we realize throughout the chapters that sometimes it seems like he's a bit back and forth. Like some of the time he seems pretty confident about what he thinks about the world. But then other times it, it feels like he's really confused about everything. There are times it, it seems like for sure he has faith, absolutely. But then there are times where he, he seems like he has a lot of frustration. So he is up, he is down, sometimes he's got wise words for us, sometimes he's posing really big questions. And for me, at least, Ecclesiastes, these chapters, they can kind of feel like, like it reminds me of that old uh, carnival ride. Maybe you know it, it's called a rocket plane. And if you have been in one of these things, you know it is wild, like madness. But what it does is, if you haven't been, it's a, it's a terrible idea. But what you do is you get into one of these little cages, into the egg, they call it. And then the thing starts up, and it spins you around like a Ferris wheel. But then not just like around, but also upside down. And then also, some of the time, back and forth. So the whole time, you are just like, you, it's chaos in there. It's super fun, but it's chaos. And if you've done this before, you know that there are moments where you are right side up, right? And you can see around you, you can see the ground, you know where you're at. But then other times, you, it gets flipped on you and you have no sense of awareness. You have no sense of reality. You're just trying not to barf, honestly. And, and this thing, this kind of reminds me a little bit, woohoo, lights, a little bit of what it's like to read Ecclesiastes. Like not, not the barfy part, right? But the part where the author, he's, this teacher, he's just trying to figure out which way is up. Like he wants to know what life is about, but then life throws him for a loop and, and he's just kind of, again, posing this question in one way or the no another, what is the point? Like what is the purpose of all of this? What is my purpose in all of this? See, I think, I think 
that we are asking these questions to. And what's funny is Ecclesiastes, it used to be, I will admit, it used to be one of my least favorite books of the Bible. Probably shouldn't say that, right, that I had least favorite books of the Bible, but I, I just didn't love it because I am a super black and white thinker. Like, I just love the, like, clear answers, the no gray area. And so Ecclesiastes, it drove me crazy because of all of its ambiguity, like all of the questions that this teacher would pose, all of the doubts that he would bring up, like it just drove me nuts. Because I had questions too, right? I had doubts. I wanted to know things like, what is my purpose? You know, what am I contributing to the world? What is this all about? And so Ecclesiastes, it just frustrated me. I wanted the teacher to give me a clear answer. I wanted him to just tell me what to think, tell me what to do. A lot of us, we are asking this question, what is the purpose of life? And specifically, we're asking, what is our purpose in life? And if you don't believe me, just go ahead and Google it. Like, look up what's the purpose of life. Don't do it now, actually. I, I did it for you. And it took 0.5 seconds to give me almost 4 billion responses, 4 billion results. There were websites that claimed to know the secret to the purpose of life. And then there were like advice columns that were trying to tell me how to go find my purpose. There, there were even quizzes that, that claimed, promised, that they could help me find my particular purpose. One of those quizzes, it wanted to know if I, if I admired Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, or Johnny Depp the most. So you know, you know that quiz knows what it's talking about, right? <laughs> Yikes. Okay, don't go to that one. But everybody, I think, we are all asking these questions. We all want to know what our purpose in life is. So we, you and me, we're asking this too. And, and maybe not in the like super existential what is life kind of way. But we're asking that in the, in the smaller day-to-day -day ways. Like we're asking that in the normal questions of life that we have all the time. Questions like, what should I study in college? Or what career path should I go down? What do I, what do I like to do? What do I love? What am I good at? What do I care about? Who do I care about? What difference can I make in the world? All of those questions, those are all purpose-driven questions. Those all help us get at why am I here? What is my contribution to the world? What am I doing here? What is my purpose? What's my purpose? So I don't know, if you have been here the last couple weeks, maybe, maybe you've been a little bit frustrated because you, like me, just want the clear answers. Like you just want to be told, what is your purpose? Let's be done with it. But the teacher, he doesn't really do that. Like he poses questions, he gives us some observations, he, he maybe offers advice, but he doesn't, he kind of leaves it open-ended sometimes. He doesn't tie everything up with a nice bow and then give us a sign saying, this is the main point. And so if you have been here waiting for that answer, I totally get it. Me too. But I think the thing is, tonight, as we turn to the last page of Ecclesiastes, we are going to finally see that there is a clear answer. So chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes is kind of interesting because what happens is this teacher, he wraps up, sort of wraps up his teaching, and then the original author 
of Ecclesiastes picks up in verse 9. And what he does is when he picks back up, he kind of pulls back the curtain for us just a little bit. And he says, okay, I know. It's as if he's saying, I know, I get it. That, that was a lot to process. But let's just summarize, okay? There is one thing, one thing that you need to take away. So don't miss this. So what is that thing? Let's, let's look at chapter 12, verse 13. This is the thing that our author is saying, do not miss. Take this away. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Here's what it's all about. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. See, it's as, it's as simple as that. That's what it boils down to. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is our purpose. That's the whole point. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you've been waiting this whole series for the answer, now you got it. So I got to ask, how does that sit with you? How, how does that sit? Knowing that fear God and keep his commandments, that is what it's all about. That's your purpose. How does that sit? Because our purpose, as it turns out, is not go change the world, do big things, hey, be happy, follow your dreams. It's not any of that. It is fear God, keep his commandments. So be honest, is that the purpose that you were looking for? Is that what you were hoping to hear? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe this, that, fear God, keep his commandments, maybe that sounds a little disappointing. Or maybe that's super daunting for you. Or maybe it's just depressing even. And if that's the case, I get it. I really do. Because fear God and keep his commandments, that can, it can sound like, Hey, watch out for that tyrant. Make sure you follow all of his rules. Kind of gives you uh, Big Brother vibes from, from George Orwell's 1984. Maybe, maybe you had to read that in high school. Maybe not. But if you didn't, this is a, a dystopian book about a group called The Party. And they control everything that happens in their city with surveying, surveying literally everything, listening in on everything that happens. And they have all these regulations and rules for how the city has to work. And so everybody has to follow. Anyone that, anyone that goes outside of that line gets punished. So people are living in fear constantly of Big Brother, who is this ambiguous leader of the party, and they are afraid that he's just going to come knocking on their door and take them away. So if that, if that's the mental image that you have right now of God kind of running through your brain, your brain what I want to do is I, I want to take a quick second and I just want to reframe some of those words. Because I think it's, I'm not going to belabor it, but I think it's really important that, that we know what Ecclesiastes means when it is talking about fear God and keep his commandments. So first, in the Bible, fear God. What that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, hey, constantly be terrified of what God is going to do. No, instead, what it means is exactly what Kyle said a couple weeks ago. It, it means realizing that God is God and we are not. It is knowing that God is the creator. He, he is the all-powerful king of the universe, and we are not. 
Like it's the kind of response that we should have when we stand at the top of a mountain and look out. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I had the chance to climb uh, hike a volcano in Japan. It was a very cool experience. And honestly, I love this picture, but it, it just doesn't even do justice to what I was looking at. Because as I got up there, I'm standing in the clouds and I'm looking out over this crater and suddenly I realize how small I am. Like how physically tiny I am and how big and how beautiful God has to be in order to create something like that. And so I just stood there in awe. Like I just stood there marveling at who God is. And I think, I think fearing God, it's that feeling. It, it is understanding who God is and then loving him and praising him, glorifying him for who he is. So we could put it another way. We could say fearing God, to fear God is loving God for who he is. So second, keeping God's commands. What it is not, it's not following arbitrary rules down to the T. Like, I wish we had more time for what I'm about to say because I love this concept. I really love it so much. But all through the Bible, what we see is that God's commands, they are there in Scripture for our good. They are for our good. They have been placed there because God knows what's best for us. I know, I know, I, I, I feel this. I know that it is hard to follow God's commands, to do what he tells us to. I know there are times where we legitimately think, is this worth it? Like, it, can this be worth it? We have to say no to a lot of things that we really want if we're going to follow God. And so I know that it's a sacrifice. But hear me out. If we believe, if we believe that God created us, we believe that he made us, then isn't it possible, isn't it possible that he knows exactly how our life should work? See, I, I mean this when I say this. It is an amazing gift that we have God's commands. It's an amazing gift that we even have access to his commands because it means that these aren't a bunch of rules. This is our blueprint for what life should be. This is our design for how to thrive, how to flourish. And so keeping God's commands is living inside his design. It is obeying what he has for us. It's trusting that his plan, his design for our life is best and then doing it. Okay, so another way to say it is that keeping God's command it's just obeying God's good design for our life. So loving and obeying God, that is our purpose. Our purpose is to love and obey God. That is the whole point. That's why we're here. And to distill it down even more if we want to, because we can, loving and obeying God, when we put those things together, you know what that gets us? Worship. That gets us worship when we love, when we adore, praise, glorify God for who he is, and, and we live in obedience to what he has for us. That is what true worship looks like. So here's the thing. Worship, as it turns out, is truly what we were created for. Base level. 
Legitimately, it's what we were made to do. Look at Psalm 100 with me. Verses 1 through 3 say this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. See, he made us, and he made us to worship him. Revelation 4, it says it this way. You are worthy, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power to receive worship. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That is what worship looks like. That is what it looks like to live out a life that is in God's design. We were created. God created us, and we were created for worship. So just like David Foster Wallace said, everybody worships because it's the, ma- it, it's the way we were made. He didn't say that, right? But the thing is, we worship because God created, created us to do that. That is the way we were created. That's why we were created. And I'll say this. When we were created for worship, worship is not just, I I don't mean worship in the way that we were praising God through song just a minute ago, through music. That is a part of it. That's absolutely part of worship. But the thing is, all of our life is worship. So in the decisions that we make, in the conversations that we have every day, in the tasks that we're supposed to accomplish, in in the emotions that we are expressing, all of that, in all of those things, we have the potential, potential to love and obey God. We have the potential to worship him in all the things that we do. That is why he made us worship. It should be driving everything that we do. Here's how Moses describes worship to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. See, nothing is left out. That, that's our personhood. That's the entirety of who we are. And Paul, he says something similar in the New Testament to the church of Colossia. He says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what it looks like. Worship, it is a whole life, whole being kind of thing. It is the reason, it is why, it's the very core of why you and I exist. Worship is the whole point. So, why don't we do it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if our purpose is to love and obey God in all the things that we do, then why don't we just see that happening all the time, all around us? Like, why are you and I, people around us, not just worshiping God with everything that we have in all the day-to-day things, normal things, but doing it with a heart for God? Why don't we see that? Well, I think, I think one answer, the, the potentially obvious answer is sin, which is our choices, our choice to live apart from God. See, 
again, Kyle talked about it a couple weeks ago, but sin, what it's going to do is it's always going to tempt us to live for, to worship ourselves rather than God. So we're going to make decisions like spending money on the things that we want to buy rather than what God has for us to use our money on. We're going to make our own choices about our life rather than live within his design. We're going to take credit for those accomplishments that we see in ourselves rather than give him the glory. See, sin, all it's going to do, all it will do for us is get in the way of our ability to love and obey God. That's all it does, so don't let it. Sin, it's just going to get in the way. But it's actually not the only thing that gets in the way of us living out this purpose that we have, this, this desire to love and obey. There's also all sorts of good things in our life that can get in the way of us loving and obeying God. Like think about when you wake up in the morning, there are countless things that are grabbing at your attention, already things that you need to be thinking about. You got notifications on your phone. You're thinking about the running to-do list that you have in your head. You, you're working on that assignment that you got to get done before you get to class. And there are always people to text. There's always TikTok to scroll. There's always emails to check, TV shows to watch, video games to play. And I'm not even talking about, like, going to work, like, doing your schoolwork, hanging out with friends, and, oh, yeah, going to church, being a part of a small group, reading your Bible, all of that stuff. There, it just is endless, right? And it starts to pile up. And, and I, I know that feeling. We have so much going on. I do. I get it. There are so many things, good things to be paying attention to. I know you feel that. I, I feel it as well. Get this. In, in 2018, a survey found that 60% of American adults said they were sometimes too busy to enjoy life. How sad is that? Sometimes too busy to enjoy life. 52%, so half of Americans, said that they're usually doing more than one thing at a time. So we are, we are outrageously busy, so busy that we can't enjoy life. And our solution is to multitask. And you guys, you guys are the kings and queens of multitasking. Like, you hang out with friends while you study, but then you study while you watch TV, and you watch TV while you text, and you text while you're in class, and you watch class while you're at work, and you work with a podcast going on, and you listen to a podcast while you work out. Like, it is endless. You guys are amazing at it. It's, it's honestly so impressive. And I get it. I'm guilty of this too, right? But do you know what it's doing to our brains? It is not good. Like, not good for our brains. Here's how one psychologist, or social, what's he called? A cognitive scientist, a name that I didn't, I, he's smart, clearly. But Daniel Levitin, he's, he talks about multitasking this way. He says, multitasking has been found to increase the production of the stress hormone cortisol, as well as the fight or flight hormone adrenaline, which can overstimulate your brain and cause mental fog, or scrambled thinking. That's a lot of words, but remember, mental fog, scrambled thinking. Multitasking, it creates a dopamine addiction, feedback loop, effectively rewarding the brain for losing focus. The irony here, for those of us who are trying to focus amid competing activities is clear. The very region 
brain region we need to rely on for staying on task is easily distracted. See, we are multitasking constantly because we're trying to get stuff done. We multitask because we want to accomplish more things, but, but rather than helping us focus, helping us prioritize the right things, living out our purpose, what it does, multitasking, it makes us wildly distracted. Wildly. And distraction is hands down, hands down, one of the biggest things that keeps you and me from obeying God, from loving him, from living out a life of worship. So if that's you, see, if you're somebody who is constantly multitasking, who is always feeling distracted, then, then I don't know what needs to change. Like, maybe you do uh, an audit of your week, your day. Like, look at your, I don't know, your distractometer and start asking yourself some questions. First, ask, what does your schedule look like? Like, are there things that you need to kind of maybe move around or completely cut out? Maybe you don't need to. Maybe you can keep the things that you're doing. But what you, what you need to do is you kind of need to look at them closely and, and decide how how am I going to love and obey God in the things that I'm already doing? How can I do that better? Second, here's a different question. What do your habits look like? Like, I don't know. Do you need to go to bed earlier? I do, speaking to myself. Uh, do you need to go to bed earlier so that it is easier to wake up in the morning to spend time with God, to focus on the things that he has for you in the day, to set your day up with him? Or, I don't know, maybe, I'm sure you've heard this one. This is not new, but do you just need to put your phone in a different room for part of the day to just avoid some of the distractions, the no notifications, the pings and dings that are coming through all of the time? I'm speaking to myself on those, I promise. Okay, three, what does your rest look like? Like, what do you do? What are the kinds of things that you do on your off day, on your, on your time off? Like, it's not really that I care about what so much as how, right? You can do anything, really, but the question is, how do those things help you love and obey who God is, his, his commands for your life? How do those things connect you to him, connect you to other people, help you glorify him? See, I think we probably need to make a couple changes. I think we got to make changes because distraction is actually keeping us from loving God. It's keeping us from obeying his design for our life. Our entire purpose on this earth is centered around worshiping God. And it should be visible. Like our love and obedience should be visible to everybody around us, which means that in our school, our work, our rest, our friendships, all of that, we, we need to be living out our purpose. I think, honestly, <laughs> I don't know whether it's this semester or just recently, but I, I have been so encouraged, genuinely, at the number of college students that we have sen seen here on Tuesday nights worshiping, actually loving and obeying God here together on Tuesday nights. Like, it's been so beautiful. 
I, I look at last week and I'm just like, seriously, guys, like some of these pictures, it was so amazing because you, there were so many people, so many hundreds and hundreds of college students singing his name, praising him, taking communion together, holding hands, like actually glorifying God. And it was just so awesome. I'm very convinced that God is doing amazing things here in this place. But, but if it's just here, like if it's just a Tuesday night thing, then I think we're missing it. I think that if we are singing and worshiping on Tuesday nights, but then the rest of the week looks very different, the rest of the week we are worshiping ourselves, then we are passing up the very purpose of our life. So are you living out your purpose? Or are you passing it up? Are you seeking totally imperfectly one, two steps forward, one step back? But are you seeking to love and obey God in everything in your week? Or is it a Tuesday night thing? See, some of, some of you in this room, I say this gently, really, some of you in this room have been with us all semester, maybe longer, and you have been listening to sermons, been encouraged by the message. You have been singing, praising God with our music. You have been meeting people, creating friendships. But then the rest of the week looks really different. And I just got to say, hear me say, you are created for more than that. God is inviting you into your purpose. God is inviting you into a relationship with him. He is the creator of the universe, and he is inviting you to love and obey him. That is your purpose. Go live out what you were created for. As the music team comes back, I want to share about, honestly, one of my weirder (laughs) interests. But in 1646, stick with me, in 1646, there was a a group of theologians from England and Scotland who who got together to create, write up what is known as the Westminster Shorter Catechism. In a catechism, it is just a summary of doctrine. It's a summary of beliefs. And this one in particular... In 1646, it was comprised of 107 questions and answers about the Christian faith. And I am probably a nerd, right? But I love the Shorter Catechism. I just think it's all so fascinating. It's very clear with his questions and answers. I love it. But the best part about it, in my opinion, is the very first question and very first answer. Here's what it says. Question one, what is the chief end of man? So, translation, what is our purpose? What's our main purpose? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, our purpose, what we are created for, is to glorify God, praise his name, make his name known, glorify him for who he is, and then enjoy that forever, for eternity, for always This is what we were created for. And and we looked at a picture earlier of Jesus and his perspective. And and see, what he did is when he was up on that cross, when he humbled himself and went to the cross to die for us, what he did is he brought us back into a relationship with our God and back into our purpose. Because of Jesus, 
Because of Jesus, we are invited, able to love and obey him. We really can do that. And so what I, I think we are called to together is to go live out what we were created for. Amen.